Welcome, everyone, for another episode of the weekly Intrepid Spirit Huddle. You know, we have a huge, amazing global community out there, and we are excited to do our part to keep people connected, make new connections, and provide a few minutes of uplift in your day. Programming note, huddles have earmuff moments, so be warned or excited. Now, let's hop right into it with our hosts, Dill and Susan. Welcome to the Intrepid Spirits Huddle. We got Susan Driscoll, myself, and Dill Driscoll here today. And we're continuing our discussion from our book, Take Charge. It's your choice every single day. And like um, our last one was on leadership, this one is on communication, which again could be a whole podcast series on just communication. So Dill, I know that you have favorite quotes. Um, so is there a quote maybe you want to start with? Well, I think the first thought started today. When, and say, uh, great to hear, see everybody today. Uh, honesty is the first chapter of the book of wisdom. And that was written by Thomas Jefferson back in the day. Um, another one, of course, that I really like is you got to remember that words coming from you in any form can be hurtful. So I would say, choose them wisely, my friend. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, that can be pretty biblical about words can be more harmful and the tongue can get you in more trouble. And sometimes it's better to listen than to speak. Um, I think a lot of times when we think about communication, we think about speaking versus the part of communication about listening. Um, Dill, one thing you've always told us is everything communicates. Um, and you always had a fun story about your costume for the day. So share with us your thinking on how everything communicates and you communicate yourself as a brand almost. Right. Well, you know, as we always discuss, you are a brand and uh, it's up to you to take care of your own brand because no one's going to do it for you. That's that's for certain. But yeah, the costume of the day, it's really funny. Uh, having traveled all over the world for, for 40 years, pretty much it was funny. I always became known as my main costume was a white button-down Brooks Brothers shirt, some sort of a jacket, blue jeans, usually Levi's, boot cut, and a pair of cowboy boots. And, you know, sometimes I'd have a cowboy hat on, depended, you know, where we were and how difficult it was to, to store it. But it was always funny because people used to say, you know, I'd be in Europe, they say, oh my gosh, you look like an American. I am an American. And this was back many years ago when people thought that it was not cool to be an American. And what I learned from Everything Communicates was, is, and always will be is, no one doesn't like America or any foreign country. It's the person. And if Everything Communicates, if you have that smile, you look people in the eye, you shake their hand, you you know, introduce yourself, people remember you and they go, wow, that person really cared about me. They were engaged in our conversation. They remember the costume um, and I, that costume I've worn to the White House, I've worn it to Buckingham Palace, I've worn it to some pretty fam famous places uh, around the world actually. Um, Saudi Arabia to a couple of uh, the king's uh, palaces. Um, it works. I One thing I will tell you, everything communicates. Saudi Arabia, quick clue. 
never go for the food with your left hand. Uh, I'm left-handed. I did that. I thought the guy was going to break my arm when he smacked me on the on the hand. Uh, so, you know, everything communicates right. for sure. Understand the culture that you're in for sure. And, you know, everything communicates, um, you know, and we've always said, because um, we're, you know, we'll admit we're both neat freaks. And um, thank goodness we're both neat freaks because I don't know how we would get along if we weren't both neat freaks. Um, I know I don't know that I could be around a slob 24 hours a day, but everybody's through their own, right? They have their own brand. But, you know, we would even tell young people working with us, um, you know, how you keep your car communicates. And, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for Dill to go call up one of our interns and said, hey, I need you to run to the airport to pick up the president of the Indy Racing League or the president of something else. And um, you, then you go, oh, crap, I got cookie wraps and uh, paper cups and stuff just thrown out in my car. My car is a disaster, right? God forbid a few beer bottles or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you do need to think about, you know, your yourself, your being. Um, I think it's been interesting in the day of um, COVID of Zooms. I mean, it's been interesting to watch how... I know myself on some business conversations and because you're on Zoom so much, I think you see a lot of people in business that maybe you wouldn't see as often sometimes. Um, and you tend to maybe get a little bit lax sometimes if you're not careful on how you actually dress. And people laugh about dressing from the waist up, but you know, sometimes, you know, got to wear a well done. Need to put makeup on for this call. I mean, I feel like we're all best friends, right? So so really, the world of Zoom is given a whole new level of thinking about how everything communicates. And um, Dill, what, what was your thing about if you're going to ask somebody for a million dollars, you got to look like? Well, you better you better look like you've seen a million dollars. And, you know, in our day, when it first started out, the contracts with Anheuser-Busch were relatively small. But I'll never forget uh, Joe Corker and the Bush uh beer brand manager one day I walked in there and I said okay I, I, I want enough money here for 10 city skis um and they're we're charging like $35,000 a piece and Joe looks at me and he says hey Dill you don't look like you're gonna you've ever seen $350,000 before and I said what do you mean and he said he said you know that jacket you have on doesn't fit right and, and it just picked me apart and I'll never forget it. I never did forget it after that. And uh, so, yeah, it's you better look like you've seen a million bucks if you're asking for a million. And in today's world, you know, we're doing events uh, at the end of my career. We were asking for 15, 20 million dollars. So, you know, you really had to be. And I think what key to that is what what allowed people to, I think, have faith in, in, in myself and, and the company that I would have whether it be momentum or ignition was I was I did my best to be totally transparent you know I told these guys what was going on in my life in my business right I guess in a way it leads to the thing of poise an attitude of confidence which comes from complete honesty a belief in what you're doing is good for you and the customer complete trust in the mission and as our clients started to understand that, they understood that 
anything that Dill and Susan were involved in, we absolutely believed in the mission or we didn't do it. You know, we told them that. So they had total faith in us, which then allowed us to do uh, paper performance contracts on the Olympics, torch relays, and on the FIFA World Cup trophy tours. These are massive jobs. And the reason we could go paper performance was we were transparent. And the client, Coke, had me the client at the time, and they would ask us, you know, do you really, if you really believe in this deal, then hey, paper performance. And I'm proud to tell you that we never graded out worse than a 95% or if you will, straight A's and, you know, actually got more money than if we had just charged our normal fees. So, you know, yeah, transparency yeah. is a real critical thing in poise. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting owning our own company. We were very open with our employees, um, you know, at least on a quarterly basis about where we stood financially as a company. We've shared having a great quarter. Things are looking great. Um, and, um, you know what, guys, this is a tough quarter. Things aren't looking so great. And people would question us, um, should we be doing that? But our belief was we would rather everybody to know the facts and know where we stand and know that, you know, if we do good, they're all going to do good. And if we do bad, we'll try to figure out how to help them not do as bad. But, um, but you know, I think that too got rid of a lot of uh, gossip, a lot of misperceptions, a lot of um, politics in companies. In fact, one of my favorite ways that Dill dealt with politics in the company and I don't remember if you remember doing this or not, but somebody would come and say, oh, Joy is bothering me. He's not doing his job. He's blah, 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 blah. And so Dill would say, okay, well, let's go get that person and come in here and let's the three of us talk about it. And it was funny how a lot of the times that person that was in there complaining all of a sudden didn't have anything to complain yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, no, I not remember. That's how we built our companies. And I would say... Uh, uh, I, I, this will sound like I'm bragging, but we, when I started World Sports Promotions from day one, you know, Scotty Reichelm was my first employee. Um, he knew everything. He, he was actually became the president of World Sports before we sold it to McCann Erickson. Um, and the guys that, that came on board with us back then, Dennis McCormick, there's like literally probably 30, 40 guys and gals that we, they called it Event University. You came to work for us and you were going to event university. You learned the event business from P&Ls to the good, the bad, and the ugly. And because of that transparency, we were able to attract, I think, some of the greatest talent um, that the industry has ever known. And if you go look at the, the family tree of uh, world sports promotions, and as it goes out to McCann event marketing and then momentum and ignition and the event department and just it, it's it's staggering and these people and then then you go and look at Freddie uh, Poros over at Wasserman and John Peaster's running Red Peg and Eric and Andy Cook started Epic and sold that and did very well so it did a lot of great stories and I think it all started and started with the notion of transparency and poise um yeah no i think and that's that's important i think and honest communication sometimes honest communication can, can be a little bit scary though like our children all grew up with poise so 
in our personal life when they would come up to us and go, Dad, in total poise, we'd go, oh my gosh, what have you done? <laughs> what, what are we going to prepare ourselves for? So, um, but you know, it was from our children though, it was, um, I think, very rewarding to teach them about honesty and communicating honesty. I know I've met a lot of uh, business leaders, really good business leaders lately. And one challenge they have is the people that report to them just want to bring them good news. They don't want to bring them the, the challenges or the issues. And um, what happens is those get swept under the rug and then they end up becoming worse and it ends up being a disaster. Whereas, you know, senior leadership, good senior leadership. Now there are some that love having yes people around them, right? But good senior leadership you know, they want to hear the ugly, but, you know, come to them with some potential solutions, right? Show them that you're not just coming to them with a list of bad news, mm -hmm. but, um, but they want to hear the facts, you know, they want to know what's really right. going on so they can deal with it because they don't know what's going on. They can't yeah. deal with it. Yeah. So Sunshine, I think what we should talk about really quick as we we're here now is um, I think one of the most successful projects that was done in the late 90, mid 90s, and it was all about fantastic transparent communications was the rollout of the, the commercialization of a 20 ounce contour bottle. Why don't you tell us about that team and how the communication worked with that? Yeah, the, um, the commercialization of the 20 ounce Coca-Cola contour bottle was a real privilege of something that I got to um, lead. Um, and it was in the mid nineties when we did it. And believe it or not, at the time, you know, plastics had been created in the 70s. Um, and because of the rush for soft drinks to get into plastics, and Pepsi knew they could take away one of Coke's advantages with the Coke shaped bottle, the Coca Cola bottle shape, they all rushed into uh, generic plastic bottles. And and it's interesting of one story there, though, is, you know, 20, almost yeah. 30 years later, Someone asked the question, being Doug Avister, who was president of Coke North America at the time, asked the question of, why don't we have plastic bottles shaped the size, you know, like a Coke bottle? And so we put a team together. I got to lead that team. And, um, and it, was a, it was a difficult process because we were adding, um, you know, a significant amount of incremental steps into the, the whole supply chain system. We were adding at the time plastic to the bottle, which was going to add costs. So very early on, um, we wrote a project charter that identified the mission, the time frame for success, the resources that we needed, the potential hurdles that we might have to navigate. And then one very important piece, the communication process. So early on, we understood who the different disciplines were that would be involved, what the interdependencies were. Um, we made sure that the technical side, the financial side, the operators, the bottlers, the marketing teams, legal, sales, we made sure that we had a master timeline that was weekly communicated to everyone of what's on um, time, what's uh, lagging behind, what maybe is ahead of time. Um, with these sub-team leaders, we had weekly in-person meetings, which if you were doing it today, you'd have Zooms. Those were very well-run meetings because they were very um, focused and focused on 
what the teams needed to work together on, what were the red alerts, what were some of the key of, uh, findings that might affect others, and of course, don't forget to celebrate the successes along the way. And one of our key things, we also met with the senior management, since this was such a high profile, high risk project at the time, um, <clears throat> that we met with senior management once a week. And the particular senior leader we had at the time was really known for giving out a lot of orders. And a lot of people didn't know really how to respond to that. And so they would run off and try to answer every one of his orders. Well, we knew that some of these orders, if you will, probably wasn't the best thing for the project. And, you know, how do we expect him to know what's completely best for the project when he's not living it every day? This was just one project of hundreds he was probably responsible for. So the way we as a team decided to deal with that was we would present him our updates, we would present to him what some of our key issues were and what we thought we needed to do about them and get their feedback. But we had also then addressed the last time we met with you, here were the things that you told us to think about, do, whatever. Let us tell you about the things that we decided not to do and why and the rationale. Let us tell you about the things that we think are good to do, but it's gonna change the budget or the timeline and hear that what those changes are and are you good with that? And then here are the things that we're gonna do and how they're gonna move forward. And the reception to that was very, very positive and it kept us on focus. It kept us from not running after, you know, distractions that we didn't really need to pay attention to. So it was really um, a really great experience to one of the best teamwork communication groups that I've ever been part of. So lots of learnings there. Um, you know, we did talk about in communication that it's all not just verbal, right? Some of it's how you look, how you dress, how you, your desk is cluttered or not cluttered. And clutter, we're not saying clutter is bad for your brand, clutter might be a positive, right? Depending on what it is you're trying to accomplish and do. But the way you deliver the message sometimes is um, important. And I may have shared this one before, but a lot of times Dill's message, if you know Dill and he can't hear well, so we use that as the excuse, um, but he's very loud and very energetic and enthusiastic. And in fact, one time we were in a, a pitch meeting and he was gonna shoot of, of something off the moon to light a flame or something crazy. A laser. But that's a whole nother story. But, but when he was one of the most effective deliveries he did was when we were beginning one of our torch relay journeys and he had all the team sitting around him in the warehouse and he got very quiet. And he said, this is gonna be the toughest job you, you will ever love. love. And people heard it. They today talk about it. And it was part of it was the way he delivered it and the contrast to how he normally delivered his messages. So Dylan, any thoughts about that, about how to properly well, I think it? yeah, well, I think I, the I, technology. Wow. Right, the technology, I think nowadays, so many of us, I don't make a point of it, but people hide behind the email text uh, phenomenon. And I think that it's, it's very, I think we don't realize sometimes how hurtful it is. And I think that uh, there's been I mean, obviously a ton of media on how the Facebook and the, these, how tough it is on a lot of kids because they're, they're quote friends. 
you know, really work them over on social media. So I think that the key there is don't hide behind that, you know, pick up the phone, call the person or go to their house, depending on where, you know, where, where you are in terms of a distance deal. Um, the other thing I think that, that is critical, um, you know, it's one thing to, to chew somebody out. It's another thing to chew them out and then right afterwards, give them a big hug and tell them, okay, it's okay. Now let's carry on. And I think I've been pretty famous for, you know, uh, blowing a cork and then immediately, you know, hugging and kissing and saying, okay, here we go. Now let's plan the work, work the plan. Uh, and that is critical to uh, leadership and communication is be careful to always communicate the object. What's the plan? You know, today we had the daily huddles on all the events. And what was the plan that day? What was, what do we have to accomplish? Right. Um, very, very critical. Um, and you know, the technology one's kind of funny because I'm sure most of us have a story of where you meant to hit reply to an email, but you hit reply all. And maybe you didn't want everyone to hear um, what, what you replied all to. I'll never forget when we had ignition, um, our friend um, Mark, oh my gosh, I'm going senile moment. Um, but he was in public relations, good friend of ours. And um, I sent a note, he sent us a note about something, we're a potential project. So I sent a note to Daniel Dow, you know, said, hey, Daniel, get with Mark. Um, they've got money. And so I did reply all. So my friend Mark came back and said, yeah, we got plenty of money. <laughs> you may want to watch your reply all. <laughs> and so um, I'm sure we all have a story like that, where if you call them and pick up the phone and talk to them, you're not going to have that so much happen. But, but that is an interesting thing in today's world. Like, just on a personal side of, you know, yesterday, Dill and I had the uh, privilege of going on one of the most beautiful days in Lake Placid, blue sky in the twenties, no wind, the cross country trail was just absolutely perfect. And so we got back and our neighbors up here, they uh, had seen them cross country this day before. And the day before it was crap, it was icy. In fact, I got off the track, I got my skis stuck under the ice. I couldn't get my skis out of the ice. So I knew they had experienced that the day before as well. So I'm like, I'm gonna text Joanne to tell her that it's a great cross country day. And I'm like, Susan, why are you texting her that? Pick the phone up and call her and tell her how beautiful a day it is. So anyway, so that decision of when do you call, when do you text, um, you know, I think if you're not sure, err on the side of pick up and call, especially in today's world. So mm -hmm. we're going to close this one out. No, we're not going to close not it out. Yeah, but you got to talk about the five screens. That's what I was going to get to. Oh, okay. Ah, patience, honey. Um, so I was going to say um, the five screens. Communication has changed from the 20s, basically. Well, before that, they were writing on dirt, maybe. But let's start with the 20s. Well, no, I, I think you, the, the communication uh, will get to the, the early days at last. But, you know, the, the five screens we talk about, you know, was in the 20s, the movies came out, came out, and all of a sudden everybody flocked to the movie theaters. And of course, they were uh, silent movies. 
and then very quickly they became set uh, they figured out the sound and uh, you'd go to the movies and believe it or not the pre pre-show movies back in the 40s 50s and 60s always had news and in the during the wars there was always the war war stories on there but what was going on on the front and then you know in the 50s all of a sudden this new technology called a television came and it came as a black and white tv i remember when we got our first one uh, living in Reading, Connecticut in like 1954. I was a three-year-old kid and uh, I'll never forget. Dad brings this huge box into the house, puts it down, you know, and turns it on and gets this little antenna thing. And we got like one channel from Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, it was, you know, it was, a, it was just amazing to watch. And then of course th th that turned into color television and the rest is history for TV. And then along in the, well, if you talk to Al Gore, he invented the internet, but it, you know, the computer started to get popular in terms of in the home and that those really started coming out in the lap, the home computer I wanna think was in the mid seventies that people really started to get them. And uh, I can tell you that how I hired all my good people when I started World Sports Promotions in 1983, every single person got a brand new Apple computer FedExed to the office the day after they started. And I had people, I was paying, every kid back then was getting $1,500 a month and a brand new Apple computer. And we had, I, I would dare say some of the, the most amazing event people, creative people on the planet. And when we sold our company to McCann Erickson in 1988, I'll never forget John Dooner telling me that we, this little company called World Sports Promotions, knew more about computers and interconnecting uh, them together than any little agency probably in the world, to be honest with you. Um, it was pretty cool. And, and he'll tell you that one of the reasons they bought the company was for the, the computer skills that the, our guys had and gals. Then, of course, uh, I want to say the smartphone came out and I can't think of the exact date of when I had my first uh, uh, iPhone because you don't count the, the just the regular phones because they're just, you know, they digital didn't stuff didn't have real screens. Yeah. But those this smartphone came out and now, of course, you know, everybody streams everything and uh, it sort of changed viewing habits of everything. You don't have to be at home to watch uh, the yeah, hockey night in Canada, if you will, right? Um, which is popular up here in, in Lake Placid. Um, and then of course the fifth screen. And the fifth screen was really the first screen. And that was called the human touch. And the caveman on until really movies, the screen was the human touch, right? You saw the person, can you imagine Moses coming down with the tablets and he starts you know gathering the, the the troops if you will his followers and it was either you're either in or you're out and some of those people were in and they kept going and some said hey this guy's a nut and they dropped out but the human touch was absolutely the first screen uh there's no question about that and i leave you with this thought and if you can do dig around in history you'll find out that i'm pretty sure it's still correct that no, um, no movement 
was ever started without the human touch. And there's some really good movements that we can talk about someday. And there's some pretty bad movements that happened because of the human touch. So anyway, uh, that's it for me today. Um, I hope everybody's having a great uh, week. And uh, I'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. Our next chapter in Take Charge is Embrace Change, which, you know, we're talking about the changing of the screens. There's the changing of a lot of yeah. stuff. With Can't wait. That's going to be and, a good one. And more changes to come for sure. So have a great day and we'll talk to you later. Bye for now. Thank you for joining the Huddle today, and be sure to check out the Intrepid Spirits Huddle Facebook group for ongoing updates and information. We love to hear your feedback and welcome any suggestions you may have on topics you'd like to hear us cover in the future. Don't forget to nominate your Intrepid Spirits Positive Human Energy Spotlight recommendations on our website at www.mcwarderdriscoll.com. And finally, if you ever want to have a live chat with Dylan, Susan, or other intrepid spirits, please join the chat on Mondays at noon Eastern. You could find that link on the Intrepid Spirits Huddle Facebook page. We're looking forward to our next episode of the Intrepid Spirits Huddle, and until then, make it a great day.